you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. A few weeks ago, you were talking about cat urine, and you had said professionals use white vinegar. Do you know how much you would use of vinegar to water? We built a home 20 years ago and thought we were putting in the best windows at that time, but ever since we've had leaking of air around and under the window. Is there anything we can do? I recently had a water softener installed. Okay. And my daughter now complains that the water doesn't taste as good. Do you have a question? about your home inside or out call ken the contractor hi everybody and welcome to another hour of ken the contractor ken patterson is ken the contractor and he's here weekends at this time answering questions about your home inside or out you can always reach ken at 800-614-2975 that's 800-614-2975 or email questions to our website kenthecontractor.com If you happen to be in a position where you're looking to borrow some money for a new home or remodeling, there's some things you need to know about as you talk not only to your lender but also to your real estate agent. Perhaps you're in the market now or intend to be over the next few months doing a home search, and I want you to be aware of this up front because there are some things that you can do not knowing up front in your negotiations that can actually come back to bite you when you sit down at the closing table. So before you end up even talking about finalizing a loan and going to closing, there's some things that you need to be asking your loan officer. The first thing you need to do when you go to shop, though, is you need to be pre-qualified. You know what you can borrow, how much money you can borrow, have some idea of what the interest rates will be and the various terms and conditions. Now, I want to talk about some of the hidden problems. Many of us will negotiate contracts where a seller, could be a home builder, could be an individual selling the home, We'll say, look, if you want to buy this home, we'll negotiate a two, three, four percent in here that we're willing to pay up to that amount for your closing costs. And you're elated. You say, this is absolutely wonderful. Closing costs may typically run one and a half, two, three, four percent in your area. And you may say, it's only going to be two percent where I live. Typically, these people are willing to offer three or four percent. That's some extra money that I have that I don't have to deal with. What you need to be aware of that in most cases, Not all of those dollars, depends on your loan and how it's structured, but not all of those dollars will end up conveying and coming to you in real cash form. Because if your closing costs may only be 2% and you happen to have a a loan with a traditional loan with 20% down, then the seller may only be able to provide you a certain amount legally. It may have two other repercussions. And we want to talk a little more in detail about that today. So I don't want you to think that this gift that you have is that much of a gift when it may not be. And there are other ways that you can salvage those same dollars if you structure your deal right on the front side. So said so there are restrictions on the amount sellers can give to the buyer at closing cost in terms of a credit. And you need to ask those questions of your lender on the front side. Now, depending on the loan program that you're dealing with, the restrictions can actually reduce the closing cost credit uh, that will come to you. And this is something that, again, you won't find typically till you sit down at the closing table. Contracts for purchase and sale of homes provide that a seller, in some cases, will offer this. But what I want you to talk to them about, if they're willing to offer 3 4%, 5%, let's say it equates to $5,000, and you find from your lender that your closing cost is only going to be around $3,000, you may lose that because it can only be applied to 
qualified closing items. And some of those things that are considered qualified by most lenders would be title company fees, recording charges, transfer taxes, and certain lender fees. So that could apply. That may eat up, let's say, 3000 of your $5,000 credit the seller is willing to offer to you. But items that we frequently say we see it on our closing statement, isn't that a closing cost? It occurs at closing that's not going to qualify would be real estate taxes, prepaid interest expenses, and as well as some other cost of closing. But that gives you an example. So just because you may have $8,000 at closing, you're saying that my seller is willing to offer up to, perhaps they're going to offer 10 or maybe just the eight. You may not be able to use that full $8,000 because the lender will not accept it. The other thing you have to be concerned about, in many of these loans, it can change the loan-to-value ratio, and that's very important. If you've borrowed money on the basis that you have 20% equity in this purchase, meaning you either own the land or you put cash down, equating to 20% of the deal, and all of a sudden the seller comes back and offers you one or two thousand dollars and it changes that. So now you don't have 20%. You have 19% in it. That may put you in a situation where you are required then to purchase, um, the uh, PMI. It may put you, which, which is an insurance that's going to cost you quite a few dollars every single month for the length of that mortgage. It may also put you in a situation where you just no longer qualify for the loan with some lenders at all, where you have to have a 20% position. So this is a bonus that can become a real negative, and I've talked to people that have experienced this. You have to go back and have deals restructured, completely refinanced. You come to the closing table ready to get the keys and take your check to the seller and get up and leave that day, and the whole deal falls apart. So if you're in the market and you're looking to buy a home and you're shopping for money, I want you to think seriously about this. One of the things I want you to be sure you do is ask for a closing statement one to three days before you go to the closing table. And if you're doing your homework, you should know in advance that you're not going to have a problem. But if you have that closing statement, you review it, you can ask your closing attorney, your title company, your realtor, all of these questions, and you'll know before you get there if you have an issue. But I want you to back up even before that. Remember I said earlier, I want you to get information from your lender to know what you're qualified for before you get into the marketplace. I also want you to talk to your real estate agent about the various homes you're looking at because if some of the sellers have that in their documentation, we're willing to pay up to 3%, up to 5% towards closing, and you have already run the math or had your realtor or your title company do that for you, you may saying, look, that's great, but I only need the equivalent of two, and it looks like I can lose 1%. What I'd like to do is either negotiate a price reduction or I'd like to negotiate something else in it. Maybe they've got a washer and dryer that they've just purchased that they're going to take with them that's excluded, and you need a washer and dryer. You're saying, wait a minute, all bets are off. You give me 2% instead of 3%, but I want you to leave the washer and dryer and that new refrigerator you just put in the house. So think about the avenues you have for negotiating that allows you to benefit from everything a seller is willing to offer. It's still a buyer's market. There are people out there willing to deal, and there are ways that you can have your cake and eat it too. Just be aware. Our phone lines are open. If you'd like to join us, the number to dial is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor in our green building segment, we're going to talk about recycled glass cabinet tops and also got a couple different apps for you this week. That's all coming up in minutes. And, of course, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.
Well, welcome back. Along with Ken the Contractor, I'm Jim Britt. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who's designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects, as well as single family homes all across the country. He's also owned his own construction company for over 30 years, and now he brings his years of expertise to the radio and the internet to answer the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can give us a call at 800-614-2975. We'll get to the phones in just a moment. And also, email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. And Ken, we're going to go to uh, Crookston, Nebraska for this question from Larry. Yeah, Larry has a freeze problem with his water. He says, I have a modular home that's about 16 inches off the ground. Said I've had a deal. I've had to deal with frozen water lines coming in the house for several winters now. I'm tired of the issue and guess I'm ready to fix it. Is heat tape the only way to protect the pipe from freezing that comes below the ground up into my walls. Well, Larry, heat tape is certainly a good way. It's an extremely common way of dealing with pipes that are exposed. But the first thing I need you and everybody to do is to be sure that you've done all you can to stop that cold air from accessing that pipe. And this may mean that first you want to be sure the pipe is properly insulated. If you have some type of a skirting or enclosure around the bottom of the house, you want to be sure that uh, that, that is sealed off if you have the opportunity to open and close that between your warmer months and your colder months. If you have a crawl space under this modular, you want to be sure that those foundation vents that are required in the warmer season are actually closed during the winter months. So I want you to do those things first. Heat tape, as I said, is a good source to help you. Be sure you've insulated the pipe, though, with some type of at least a, a flexible uh, insulation designed for that, and, and they're very common, easy to find at your hardware and your big box stores out there. The other thing that you might want to consider that's becoming fairly popular is a, uh, a heat pipe system. There are companies that make them to order. There are also products, uh, PIRIT, P-I-R-I-T, or PIRIT, are heater hoses that are available. And really, you simply change the connection from where that fixed line goes into the house using one of these heater hoses and tie it in below grade. And this is a flexible hose. It actually has a heat line in it. So that all you do is plug that in to a GFI-protected outlet, and you don't deal with any separate electric beyond having that box to plug it into. So for many people, they're finding this is a good resource. They unplug it during the warmer months. They plug it in during the cold months. They have no frozen water. They don't worry about it. So check out some of those, but do yourself a favor. Start with some insulation first and being sure that that crawl space is sealed off. 800-614-2975 is our number. That's the number Joe dialed. C joins us right now. Hey, Joe, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yeah, Kim, this is Jim McKnight. Uh, my wife and I built a, uh, a addition to the house about seven years ago. And we put a Kobe and Kobe outside doors on, which aren't real cheap. And then later on, we put a uh, storm door on from one of the big box stores. And the same thing's happening to both doors. At first, it, started, it looked like you'd take a small drill bit and drill a holes in them and then but it, it now it's starting to like it's corroding from the inside out you know what i'm saying it's it's white it's not rust i mean it, they're aluminum doors but uh well no yeah i guess they're aluminum uh it's kind of corroding from the inside out i just want to know what i could do for those how to stop that and fix them well it tells me that there's some type of a moisture issue if it's corroding from the inside out and that doesn't mean necessarily the water's coming in around the glass, but what you're describing, and the door you bought is a high-end door. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You, you made a good purchase in that regard. But the, the door is probably not fully wrapped. Is it you've got metal on the exterior? It's an insulated door? Yes, it's 
insulated door. Okay. And if you look at that door, the skin on that door, it's probably, it has a reverse turn on it. And then when you look at the edge, you have wood around the four edges. Is that correct? Okay, so the edges are not actually lapped with the aluminum or with the metal skin that covers the outside. And that's pretty typical of an exterior door uh, because it is a a veneer of sorts, if you will. You still have the wood styles around the outside, and that gives your builder or you opportunity when you're putting in an opening, if it's a retrofit, to to trim it, to put a saw to it, because you're not going to cut the metal, but you still have just a little wood exposed. If if uh, Am I describing your doors correctly? Yeah, it like, I don't know about the storm door. I don't think the storm door had any exposed wood. No, that wouldn't. I'm going to come back to the storm door briefly. But on, on the wood doors, you have these added seams that give you some potential for moisture to get in around the outside. I've experienced this on my own. And you may need to simply go through and, and add some caulking around the perimeter between that metal and the wood on both sides of the door. But for it to corrode from the inside out, you're actually seeing some rusting occur. When you say corrode, some white powdery yeah, residue. White, yeah, yeah, white powder. Uh-huh. And with, with whether if it's aluminum, it won't rust. And what you'll see, though, is this white powder. Uh, it's almost like efflorescence on brick that will occur with aluminum. With, ru- with right. metal, you'll actually see a rust that occurs and bubbles up. And that's probably the same thing on the storm door because it should be. Most storm doors are all aluminum, and I'm guessing yours is also. So would tell me that there's some some moisture getting in in some fashion that's causing this powder to form there, and I'd be looking for seams or opening or loose screws or fasteners or places that water can get in. Now, also, you need to keep in mind that when a storm door is closed, that especially if you're in a higher humidity environment, and if that's closed during the summer months and there's no ventilation, that you're trapping, you're collecting moisture when the humidity gets to be pretty high in your area. So but, you know, it's not down at the the corrosion on the storm door. It's not down at the bottom. It's up about eighteen inches up. Well, but still, the corrosion is going to be related to moisture. I've, I've experienced okay. this personally on my own properties, and that's what I have found. So I'm there. I'm speaking from personal experience. There could be other issues to deal with, but that is the most likely scenario. All right. What do I do to get rid of it? Well, first, you, first you're going to have to dry it out, meaning you, you don't want to trap that air in between these two doors. And so there may be a period of time, and in, in the, the cooler months might not be the best time to do that, but you may have to deal with it until you get into a warmer climate. But I'd leave those doors open, get it well ventilated, allow those doors to try and dry out some, because the moisture, especially in your 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 main door, not the storm door, could well be trapped on the inside. That has to dissipate. And then I'd be doing, which I have done, a little bit of caulking, as I said, where the metal meets contact with that wood. Can you treat it with anything? There's nothing that I've treated it with. Now, that's not to say there isn't something out there available for that, but I've had to deal with it at the level we're talking about where you've got to prevent this moisture from just working its way in between the seams and the wood because, again, on aluminum, uh, you've got that corrosion. The other thing that can cause this, and you might look at this with fasteners, if you're dealing strictly with aluminum, if there are certain products, aluminum and copper and galvanized steel, all of those things don't play together very well because there can be corrosion that's a result of putting two different or two dissimilar products together. You may see if anything has been applied to either door that did not come with that door originally. Very good. Joe, we appreciate it. Thanks for your call. Uh, we've got Amy here. Let's see if we can help her with a problem with some bricks. Amy, go right ahead. Hi. Um, I have a, a question. Um, I have a windowsill, and underneath it, there's a course of probably about 18 bricks and a crawl space vent, and there's a crack that's developed and gone all the way through the bricks. It's through parts of the bricks, through parts of the mortar, the brick, the mortar, that sort of thing, all the way down the wall. It's a west-facing wall, so it gets the rain and snow and stuff like that. 
it's about an eighth of an inch thick, and it's gotten longer and a little bit wider over the past three, four years. And I, so it's now from the under the windowsill down to the sidewalk. And I wondered, should I be trying to fill that? Is it repairable? What well, needs to be done? Absolutely. You're on the right track. One, you do need to seal that because you're inviting water problems and they'll continue to grow. And not only will it pop out mortar in this area, but it can be damaging brick laterally, meaning to the left and to the right of this, where you're in, going to end up with a bigger problem over time due to freeze-thaw especially. You also don't want to have a mold mildew problem develop within that wall cavity. So by all means, you need to seal it. Now, QuickCrete makes a product that would be outstanding for that. It is a mortar seal. It comes in a tube. They have two or three different colors available, and it is user-friendly. And for you to do this yourself, you simply need to clean out any loose mortar that's there and then apply this. When it comes to the brick, the cracks in the brick proper, you may want to look at one of their clear products to go over that. It'll still keep the water from getting in, but it will fill that joint quite well. I wouldn't want to use the mortar color over the brick because it really makes the line very pronounced to everybody that can see the outside of the house. But by all means, you have to seal these issues or they become bigger later on. What you're describing is probably the weakened plane in that wall because you're saying it's coming from the windowsill down through the foundation vent and so forth. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Well, I don't think you have anything to be overly concerned with, but I would, by all means, seal it as soon as possible. Amy, hold the line right there. We've got to take a quick break. We'll continue with more. Our contact number, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. If you have a question for Ken, you can email it to KenTheContractor.com or give us a call at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time for our green building segment, and we're going to deal right now with some cabinets. We are one of the fastest-growing areas of new construction and renovation from coast to coast in this country deals with green building, people wanting to do things with recycled products, reclaimed products, with products that are eco-friendly, and also looking at the energy efficiency on them. So if you're in the process of dealing with a kitchen or a bathroom makeover, you might want to consider a recycled glass and concrete countertop. Yes, I did say that recycled glass and concrete countertop. There are many manufacturers around the country that are producing these today. They are eco-friendly in every aspect that you could imagine. One such company happens to be Beachstone. Their product is 100% recycled glass and concrete that makes up beautiful countertops for not only your kitchen but also for your bathrooms. It's made from 100% post-consumer recycled glass. 75% of that, they would say, at least is just by weight all by itself. And, of course, most of these products we know would wind up in the landfill. So we have really spent a long period of time training ourselves to use things over and over again and to repurpose those. There are also there are seashells that are recycled that make up a portion of their particular countertop as well, uh, which is a natural replenishing product. And the binder in their particular product that holds all these things together is also a post-consumer product. And one of the important things to so many of us today is that most of these in this particular brand has no VOCs, those volatile organic compounds that can create breathing issues for us within our home. And as I said, this one particular company is called Beachstone. There's also another company called 
Istone and Vertrazzi and several others. So if you're in the process of redoing your kitchen or your bathroom and this appeals to you, talk to your cabinet supplier, your local manufacturer, the distributors in your area. These products and so many others that are green building friendly are available nationwide. You just have to ask. Our contact number is 800-614-2975. You can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the contractor at that number. That's also the number of the dentist out. He joins us from South Carolina. Dennis, you're up next with Ken the contractor. How can we help you today? Uh, I was asking a question about uh, paint and paneling. You know, some of that paneling kind of got a slick-looking finish on it. I didn't know if regular latex would stick to it without putting something on it first. Uh, you got any suggestions on that? It needs to be primed, or I read now where they come out with paint with primer mixed in it. I didn't know what would be the best solution for that. Well, I've painted a fair amount of paneling. Paneling uh, has been out, if you will, in terms of interior design for a number of years, but there are thousands or millions of homes across the country that have paneling in it. I grew up with it. I've had it in homes, and obviously you have as well. But painting is a, is a great and simple solution to really brighten up a room and to redecorate without spending a lot of money. So I'm glad you asked the question. The, the paneling is also easy to deal with. It's like everything else I say on this radio show, it's in the preparation. And the first thing you're going to have to do is thoroughly clean that paneling. And you may even want to take just a light sandpaper to it after you have cleaned it to remove any oily residue or just the years of grime that tends to build up on it. So be sure you prep it properly. But now to deal with your question on the paint, you're right. There are manufacturers, both regional and international companies, that are producing paints that have the primer built into it. I would recommend, though, against that. And you may talk to some of those paint stores and they may say otherwise. What I'm going to suggest you do is to prime the paneling with an oil-based primer. And those are not easy to find today either. They still exist. The reason I'm telling you to do that is because with some of the old paneling, it's a natural wood product, and just as you have seen sap come out of pine lumber and oak and others, I'm not suggesting that that's coming through on this paneling, but there can still be residue within that natural wood fiber that will bleed through a latex primer. If you use an oil-based primer, then you're going to seal that. It will not come through your finished paint product. Then you go over that with a latex with your water-based finished paint, one or two coats, whatever you need, depending on how dark the paneling is, and the color that you're applying to that. But you can use a latex primer. I'm just suggesting against it for the reasons that I described. And really, you'll have a great-looking room and a completely new look. You'll be amazed with what painting paneling will do for you. Now, one other thing I want to caution you about is before you start all of this, maybe after you've cleaned it, you need to check the paneling to be sure all the fasteners are tight you want to check the trim if you're leaving that intact and be certain that it's secure because that is the time to be adding additional nails and to set those nails and to putty those nail heads. That's before you do the primer. So if you follow those few steps, you probably got a good weekend project and you'll have a new room. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I was wondering. I, you know, that stuff fairly new to me coming out with built-in, so I was what I wasn't sure about. That's what I asked. Well, I'm glad you asked. I've done this for many decades, and it is a new product. And I'm just, I'm a little leery at this point because those are latex or water-based products. And if anyone wants to do what you want to do, and many people do, I just hate to see you spend all the time and you sit down and three or four days later you start seeing, especially if you had a knotty pine paneling or something like that, you start seeing outlines of some of the uh, the patterns, if you will, in the paneling. So my recommendation to anyone that asks is use an oil-based primer and uh, have a just have a good weekend job and have it look good for a long period of time.
The latex paint will stick to oil-based primer. Yes, it's, it's kind of odd that latex will bond to oil base, but oil base over latex will not bond. Okay. Because it's, it it's your finish. Yeah. I think I was thinking one way or the other, sir. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. So people that want to go over an oil base with a latex, they need to sand it first, rough it up, and then there's a special primer that goes over that. But in this case, and you can do a sample area. Now, I'm also suggesting that you talk to your paint store. If you're going to a, a paint store, not just a big box store, somebody that really knows the product, if you've got a regional, a regional paint supplier, you may ask them if this two-in-one paint will really do the job and will seal any oil stains or things that may tend to come through if it's not sealed properly. But go ahead and ask that question for your own benefit. But given my experience, that oil-based primer is going to do the best job, and you just don't have to worry about it. Okay, well, that sounds like the answer. Well, we appreciate you listening. Okay, appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. We appreciate it. Let's sneak in a uh, quick email. This comes to us from uh, Northern Virginia, Ken Mallory in Manassas, Virginia, about cabinets. Yeah, he said, my husband and I are replacing our kitchen cabinets with new ones. We don't want to refinish. We want a new style. Uh, we have uh, been to several showrooms and some and see big differences uh, in the in the price, and I'm just paraphrasing what she has here. Said we want to replace these only one time, and we're looking for good quality. What are some items we should consider, and how do you t- determine quality? It's a great question because cosmetically cabinets can all look the same, but yet you'll see a huge difference between uh, cabinet A and cabinet B. Some things you want to look for certainly is the makeup of the cabinet. Are they particle board? Are they hardwood? Do they actually have some cardboard components on them? There are certain signs that says this is a cheap cabinet, not going to perform well long term. If you're looking for a good quality cabinet, you want to see a plywood core, and that's going to be the floor, the face frame. You may still be looking at an oak, a cherry, some other type veneer, and that's fine, but you want to look at the box structure. The other thing to look for with cabinets will be the hardware, whether the hardware is readily adjustable or it's a simple hinge that's on the outside, and once it's out of shape, it no longer performs. So adjustable hardware gives you better quality in terms of long-term performance. And one other item that's key to me will be the thickness of the shelves. Some manufacturers have shelves as thin as three-eighths of an inch. You load them up with cans and other items, and they'll sag over a period of six, seven months if you have heavy loads on them, and they will not rebound. They won't come back level. So you want to be certain that you're dealing with cabinet shelves that are adjustable and that have a thickness that will sustain the load you're going to put on them. I recommend nothing less than a half-inch. High-quality cabinets are going to tend to be around five-eighths of an inch thick on their shelves. They're going to support the loads and your lifestyle. Quick break and back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Have a question about your home inside or out? You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Let's go to the phones again at 800-614-2975. It's Dwayne who joins us right now. Hi, Dwayne. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yes, sir. I have uh, 100-plus-year-old columns, concrete columns. Uh, they're probably about 20 feet tall, and they've got severe cracking uh, all up and down them. Uh, there's a couple really bad places, but most of it is surface. Uh, you can hear a little bit of, you know, as you tap on them, you can tell it, it can pull away relatively easy. What I'm trying to figure out is the best way to, I guess, kind of shore them up. And I thought about reparging or something, but I don't know if that would just crack again. Well, first off, it sounds like you have some hollow areas in the column as far as the plaster coat goes. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, I believe you're right. And I believe I've, I've drilled into them 
doing some uh, support work for the rail system, and I know there's brick on the inside uh, as the red dust is coming out. I'm pretty sure they've been bricked and then uh, a coat of, uh, or several coats, I guess, of concrete or plaster or whatever. Well, that was typical of construction a 100 years ago, so I think what you're discovering would be accurate. Uh, bricks, the structure is brick, and then it has a smooth, most likely, plaster coat over that. And, and what we see many times with these type columns over the decades is they develop hairline cracks, moisture gets behind them, it expands in the winter months, it freezes. In some cases, you see some spalding, but in other cases, clearly, it will at least loosen that, and that's what you're describing to me. When you tap on it, it just doesn't sound like it's making good contact with the brick structure behind it. Right. You have two options. One, depending on how far you want to go with this. Yeah. There are products manufactured by a company. I'll give you QuickCrete as an example, and I use them periodically because I work with so many of their products. But they have products that will seal these cracks, and at the same time, they also make another one that will allow you to apply a complete surface coat over it and offer some structural reinforcing without having to tear it all off and start over. Okay. This is a good short-run solution, meaning that if you want to live with this for perhaps a few years, this will work well for you. The first thing you have to do is seal the cracks, though, because that's where moisture is getting in, and that's what's causing this to become loose and separate from the brick. And there are several different items they manufacture, and there are other brands in the market as well, but that's just one product brand I'm mentioning. First, you want to seal the cracks and see how that performs and how it looks and how much time you want to invest in it. That will stop any further deterioration, assuming that moisture is the only issue you have. And then secondly, you can apply a plaster coat mix that, again, QuickCrete makes that will go over all of that and offer some degree of reinforcing. Now, what happens when you do that? With these loose areas, you're not causing them to bond any better to the existing brick. You're simply stopping the deterioration, and then you're going to come back and coat it for a new, pristine look. Or a cosmetic finish. It's a cosmetic finish, but it will offer a little reinforcing from the outside, not on the bonding. But that will help you in the short run. Long term, if you really want to do this so it lasts for another 100 years, unfortunately, you're going to have to take that plaster off all the loose areas and then go through and spot patch those, and then come back and apply this final coat over it. But that gives you two solutions, I think, one short-term, one long-term. That finished product, that's pretty uh, user-friendly as far as spreading it on, and uh, would you sponge it around the column since they're round, or use a brush to kind of... Depends on the thickness. If you were uh, patching heavy areas, you would trial that on. But right. to go over as a coating, if it's a cosmetic, you can brush it on. The instructions on the box or bag, and some of these are sold in buckets, uh, will tell you how to mix it based on the application. And whether it's cosmetic or whether it's structural, it will give you the curing time and it will give you the temperature range that it's good to work with in. These are some things you have to be careful of. You're still going to have to do a degree of prep work, meaning if you have mold, mildew, scaling paint on the outside, you're still going to need to clean that because if it's it's not going to bond going over this if you don't clean it. And as you hear me say on this show frequently, the work is really in the prep on almost every project. It's not in the finish. It's really in the prep. Your last question, I believe, was, is it user-friendly? And the QuickCrete products for residential use for homeowners are indeed very user-friendly. Even most of their products for commercial applications for professional builders are user-friendly. I hope that works for you, and sounds like you've got a good afternoon project. 
Dwayne, thank you. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email Ken at KenTheContractor.com. All right, we've got not one app. But two apps of the week this week. What have you got for us? Yeah, we got a double dose this week. And, I, and I'm not going to take credit for these. I have to tell you right up front that these come to me. They were brought to my attention courtesy of our computer guru, Ron Doyle, who is also known in his newspaper columns to many of you as DoubleClick. So, uh, and the first one is a barcode scanner. And you're saying, well, if I'm doing home remodeling or I'm doing work around the house, why in the world's a barcode scanner to me? Let me tell you, I've been using this thing off and on since Ron put me onto this, and it really is quite fascinating. You'll find yourself even walking through the grocery store just saying, is that can of beans really this price? You can check those things yourself. Well, you know, to me, this is a constant source of frustration because more and more, the price is not being put on the shelf, or they do it on the basis of unit pricing. So you have to do math to figure out how much you're getting in your can or the box or something else to find out exactly, is that can of beans going to cost me 69 cents? That's what I want to know. That's all you want to know. And the same when you're in the hardware store, you want to know what this particular lock set's going to cost. You can't find a posted price. Folks, you take this barcode scanner on your smartphone, you scan that particular box, it will not only give you the price, but it'll tell you a lot of other information about that in many cases, and I've checked this out so far. It will also allow you in some with some products to compare prices from one retail outlet to another. It's been a, a huge uh, benefit You've had and a lot, lot of fun. fun. With this, I've had you? a lot of fun with this one. You can tell I'm excited about this barcode I scanner. I can see you roaming through now, the store with it now. That's a fact. Ask my wife. And I have to tell you one other thing because I know Ron all too well. This one's free. Ron's and, and you know him, Jim. Ron's yes. not apt to spend a dime on these apps if no. he can avoid it. Let me change that. Ron is cheap, and Ron <laughs> would not dispute that point. He is cheap. Yeah, he's told us that. Yeah. So I picked up on this one from him, and I'm passing it along to you. And it is absolutely free, and it works quite well. So if you're looking to do some things around the house, it's a great app when you're out shopping to compare some various things with. And you'll find it's called Barcode Scanner. And if you look that up, it's absolutely free. The next thing that you're going, and you go to my website, by the way, and you'll actually find the link to that. The next one I have to tell you about is one that's called Evernote. This one also comes to me through Ron, and it is absolutely free. Now, Evernote's an easy-to-use free app that helps you remember everything across all the devices. We use so many devices today. It allows you to take notes, to capture pictures, to create to-do lists, to record voice reminders, and it makes all of these notes searchable. Whether you're at home, work, or on the go, you can sync all of your notes across the computers and various devices that you use. You can create and edit text notes, to-do list, and save and sync and share your files. So for those of you that are doing things at multiple locations and we're all multitasking today, this is a great app to work with. And when you get to one location, you've got all your notes right there and you're ready to move forward with your home improvement project. And if you want information on either of these apps, go to our website, KenTheContractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor, where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. For Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, I'm Jim Britt. Thanks for joining us once again here on Ken the Contractor.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com. 